There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received all received your good things and Lazarus in in like manner bad things uh, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish and besides all this between us and you uh, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us and he said then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, uh, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone uh, goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, welcome. My name's Andy and uh, the pastor here at St. Matt's. It's great for us to be together this morning. I will let you know that I have switched the aircon, so it should be cooling down. Have we noticed that? It felt like we, I walked into a sauna. Um, we had turned it on, but it, there's like a, you can just reticulate the air from outside or you can put aircon on. And so the aircon is on and it will cool down. Um, uh, I might pray and then we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, uh, your words are always good. Uh, often they hit us hard and we feel the weight of them. And Father, we pray this morning that as we reflect on these uh, realities of heaven and hell, that you might give us humility, you might give us understanding, and you might cause us to trust and praise and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as Andrew said, we are in the final week of our series, and we are looking at the question, how can Christians believe in heaven or hell? Uh, we are going to wrestle with the topic of hell this morning. Uh, now, all the other questions that we've looked at pale in significance to this question uh, because this question is about the end of the story. Uh, it's about the eternal future of every human being. No matter what culture, no matter what you think of love, no matter what purpose you have lived for, the topic of heaven and hell affects all of us. Even just saying the word hell can kind of raise all sorts of emotions, can't it? Uh, all sorts of responses. 
uh, for us. Uh, many in our community, you know, those that scripture parents, uh, they think the topic of hell is primitive, distasteful. Uh, it's the worst of religion thinking. You know, and how can Christians believe and promote such things in the 21st century? I mean, haven't we moved on? Aren't we kind of progressing, open-minded, uh, more civilised? But it's not just those in our community that struggle with the topic of hell. It's actually those in church. It's those Christians who also find the topic of hell difficult. Uh, many Christians uh, who might assume that hell, uh, we, we ought to keep it quiet because it's the opposite of the kind of positive message of love, grace and mercy that we should be bringing to our community and our world. Uh, and so many Christians actually go far as saying that the actual hell is at odds with a loving God. Uh, and so they struggle to embrace the concept of hell. Uh, the problem for you and I is that most of all our understanding of hell comes from the lips of Jesus. It's interesting, you know, Jesus is actually the person who speaks about hell the most in the Bible, more than any other person. Uh, of all his teaching, about 13% of it and about 50% of his parables, he taught about judgment, punishment of God and hell. Uh, that's astounding, I think. That's an astounding thing. We love Jesus, but he is one who speaks about this topic. Uh, Jesus is clear. Hell is eternal, conscious punishment forever. Uh, and Jesus, he uses all sorts of graphic imagery to talk about the place of hell. Uh, just like that parable we read out. It's one of the most full-on parables you might ever read. It's kind of, of horrific punishment, you know, of conscious torment in hell. You know, he talks about his anguish in this flame. It's a fearful picture, isn't it? It's a fearful and sobering picture of a man who's just longing for a drop of water. Jesus uh, speaks about hell and he's very serious when he comes to it. He says other things. He says like this in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. This is a serious matter that we're considering this morning. Jesus is serious about it. Hell is something to be avoided at all costs. It's real and it's terrifying. Because initially say that hell, it's not kind of, heaven and hell, it's not kind of a side issue for Christianity. Uh, Christianity isn't primarily about making parents happier and kids more obedient and, you know, better taxpayers in this world. Actually, Christianity may produce that, but Christianity at heart is a matter of heaven and hell. It's a matter of such significance and weight and consequence for every human. It's a matter about your relationship with your maker. Now, the very fact of hell that Jesus taught hell, assumed it be true, it does raise all sorts of questions for us this morning, doesn't it? How can modern people believe such things? 
Uh, maybe you here and you struggle with the concept or you know people that struggle. My plan for us this morning is to kind of take a step back and think through the issues that we might have with heaven and hell and particularly concept of hell and then have a look at how the Bible might answer those and speak into it. But I thought I might pause and ask us a question uh, and you, this is where you can respond. What, why do we find it so difficult? What is it about this topic that our community or as Christians we might find difficult? Um, so you can call that, you can call out your answer. I've got a bunch. I assume you're like me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, do you want to you keep going with that? What do you mean? So the reality, the, the, the concept that this is so real, maybe the, late, the eternity nature of it, uh, how is it fair that someone will be enduring that for a finite time on earth for an eternal punishment? Yeah. Peggy? There's no way out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's why is that difficult? Yes. Yes. Yep. It, go, it goes on forever. So there's no kind of second chances once you get there. Uh, that's the kind of the the end point. Uh, Manuel. Yeah, what do you mean by that? So it seems contrary to the good God, the loving God. Yeah, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah, very, so challenging. Yes, yep, yep. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's, uh, uh, yeah, it does seem unfast. That's the kind of the shock, and I suppose the shock and the unjust, unfair reality of the good news about the gospel. But yes, definitely. Uh, any, anything else? Very helpful, yeah. Um, who is God to kind of decide this on me? Yeah, that's, that's a very helpful um, issue. Are there more? Oh, here we go, let's go, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, does, why does it make such a big deal about it uh, when we can kind of have heaven on earth now? Yeah. Yep. Teka? Yeah, 
Yeah, um, that's right. How, what about those who um, have never heard the message of Jesus, so haven't been given the opportunity to... Yeah. Um, have we got more? I, I am afraid I'm not going to be able to answer all these ones in depth, but I think it's really good for us to kind of ask these questions and to reflect on them and not just sweep them under the carpet because they, uh, God, if, if Christianity is true, we can ask these questions and we can wrestle with it and we can come to see what God will have to say about it. Um, I've, I've heard someone say, um, you know, and it's maybe along the lines of what Simon was saying, but if God won't accept me for who I am, I don't want to be with him anyway. Uh, it's, uh, you know... If God is like that, it just seems like he's, it's kind of arbitrary, it's intolerant, judgmental. Uh, you know, I don't want to be with a God like that. I just want to be as far away as possible. Um, now, there are all sorts of issues. I'm going to kind of look at possibly the three of them. Uh, so it seems to be at odds with a loving God. Uh, it seems unfair and unjust. Uh, and it just seems a little bit arbitrary and intolerant. Uh, you with me? You ready? Um, okay, next, next slide. Uh, what if God were actually more inclusive than you and I are? Here's my thought for you. Um, see, if I were you know, to run the universe uh, and to work out who would I let into heaven, I could just say, I'll let everyone into heaven. But then what would you say? Really? Wouldn't you? Really? You'd let everyone into heaven? Uh, what about you know, Hitler and Stalin, the Bali bombers? Would you let them into heaven? And I think, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I won't let them into heaven. Um, well, maybe I would make a criteria. Maybe if you're good enough, you could get into heaven. Uh, and then you would say, really? How good? And, you know, how good do you have to be to get into your heaven, Andy? Uh, and, you know, how can I know that I've been good enough to get into your heaven? And uh, then you'd say, aren't you just being exclusive, like you've accused God of being, by making a standard, drawing a tingling band about being good enough? So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not being good enough. Maybe it's about, um, maybe people get into heaven if they're sincere, in what they believe about God. So sincerity, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you can get into heaven if you're true to what you believe about God. You're sincere in your belief. What would you say? Really? Haven't you just become an exclusive God, like you're accusing God of being? And how do you actually know how sincere someone is? Uh, and how do I know if I'm going to be sincere in my beliefs? Okay then maybe you go, maybe it's not about sincerity, maybe it's not about being good, not everyone gets in, maybe it's about being true to who I am. That's what it's going to mean. You just have to be true to yourself and then you'll get into heaven. Really? I mean, really? Is that, is that the measure that we're going to use? Aren't you excluding people based on whether they're being true to themselves? And how authentic do I have to be to myself to get into heaven? You hear the point I'm raising? Maybe not. As people, we kind of can't have it both ways. We kind of can't have uh, believing that there's a difference between people 
right and wrong and a way that we've lived life and then expecting God to be inclusive of everyone. See, we ourselves, if we were to make up a heaven, we'd probably, we, we would be more exclusive than God is. And no matter how we slice and dice it, uh, based on God's criteria, I think there's actually always going to be more people in heaven than if you and I ran the universe. Uh, you know what God's criteria is? Do you know Jesus? Do you love him and worship Jesus? That's the criteria. And uh, Jesus holds all that he is the only way to God. And based on that criteria, more people will get into heaven than if we use any other measure. See, I think central to our struggle with this idea is the concept of how we view people. See, I think there's kind of two main ways you can view people. You can view people as though they're uh, good and stuff up a few times. Uh, and so the way you'd view God then is that he's obligated to save people because they're good. And the shock would be that God doesn't let some people in. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's one way to view humanity. A second way to look at humanity, and I think the way Jesus talks about it, is that actually all of us fall short of where God needs us to be. And actually, God isn't obligated to save any of us. And so the shock, the horror, is that God does save some. And so for me, the wonder, the mercy, is that he lets people in like me, who I know my own heart full well that I ought not to be in heaven. But the shock and the wonder is that God lets people in. That's the first thing. Perhaps God's criteria is way more inclusive uh, and that actually because everyone fits his criteria and needs saving, uh, it's actually going to be more people in heaven. Okay? Second one. Uh, what if hell is what a fair God would do? Now, I think we in the West, we, we tend to think that it's unfair that there is a hell, uh, that that kind of uh, divine justice is met. However, if you are not from the West, uh, people often have the opposite, the very opposite feeling about hell and God's judgment. See, people who live in the world who see evil uh, and think, they think, uh, how could God be real, true and just, a God worth worshipping, if hell didn't exist because of all the injustice in the world? See, hell exists because of God's justice, not in spite of it. I uh, see in villages in Africa, Middle East, India, China, innocent men and women and children are raped, kidnapped, tortured or killed on a daily basis. And when you're either a part of that crime or witness to this crime, the question of God's justice isn't a philosophical one, but a actually really felt one. Uh, here's a picture of Miroslav Volf. Uh, he's a theologian. He witnessed much death and destruction in his home uh, country in Croatia uh, when he grew up in war-torn Europe. Uh, he gets the need for justice as he has seen the hideous evils and crimes and injustices in the world. Have a listen to what he says. He says to us in the West, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis of God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land, 
soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. And as one watched it die, one will do well to reflect about many other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying it's only a comfortable Westerner's perspective that hasn't lived in a war-torn area or seen gross injustice that can be offended by the idea of ultimate justice. See, we in the West, we think it's unfair that this place exists, but for most people in the world, they think it would be unfair if hell didn't exist. Wolf, uh, this theologian, he goes on to say more than that. He actually says the very concept and reality of hell is actually the fuel and reason that Christians are to live in love and forgiveness on this earth. Here's a quote by him. He says, The only reason why God in the Bible can ask his followers to love, bless, and forgive those who harm them is because they know that one day there will be a God who will one day right all wrongs. But if there is no hell, no future righting of wrong, that means his followers right now have to meet the cry for injustice. They have to take up vengeance for themselves, blood for blood, crime for crime. But because the followers know there is a God who is fair, who will right all wrongs in the future, we can love, we can pray, we can bless and we can forgive those who harm us. Do you hear his argument there? He's saying if there was no God, no uh, ultimate justice for the atrocities committed to those around us or our loved ones or those anywhere, then for us to be just, we would have to pursue and take matters into our own hands, wouldn't we? We'd have to pursue that justice now. But Wolf is saying, actually, if you think about it, the concept of God being just and holding everyone accountable enables us to not do that now. We're actually able to forgive and we're actually able to love even when we've been terribly wrong because we trust in the God who will one day hold all people to account. Now, that's a pretty profound truth that the Bible wants to hold on to. There is a God who is just. He won't get it wrong. He sees all things and he will right every wrong. That actually radically changes the way we pers- that we might see life and pursue justice here and now. It's compelling, isn't it, to know actually justice will be upheld no matter what. I can trust God, so I don't need to take it into my own hands. And I think that that's actually a great comfort for me. I actually think if we don't believe in the concept of hell, then we have a much bigger problem, don't we? Because the reality is there is so much injustice in our world. It happens all the time. And don't our hearts cry out for justice? Don't we rally against injustice? We want people to be held account for their actions. You know, it's why we want large corporations to be held account when they scrooge the man. It's like, you know, we've got people painting on people who are wearing animals' clothing, social media, like we just this pursuit of pursuing justice to animals in the captivities of whales. See, why do we have this? Was well, because we all have this deep yearning of justice within us. 
Injustice is wrong and it has to be paid for. Uh, we are moral creatures and God has made us moral and he holds us account for our actions. The concept of hell is about this injustice. There is a time when all these injustices will be held account. All right, my first two. God is more inclusive than you and I would be if we ran the world. And actually hell exists because he is just. Because, and that actually enables us to live loving and forgiving and at peace with one another. Now, on it, why it does seem fair, I think we can press into the idea of, okay, so I'm, I'm with you a little bit. What about um, the concept of a finite crime for an eternal punishment? How is that? It just seems outrageously out of proportion. I can kind of get why might God might send Stalin or uh, Hitler to hell, but a loving grandmother a brother, a friend, because they don't know, love and worship Jesus. That just seems disproportionate. I think there's a couple of things for us to reflect on here. Firstly, uh, even just in our world, punishment is not based on how long it takes to commit the crime, is it? Uh, but it's on the seriousness of the crime. You know, so if you, how long does it take to murder someone, like six seconds with a gun or something? Uh, but what do we do? We put them in jail for life. Uh, you know, we, we, we say the crime is so significant that you'll be punished for a whole life. If you're in America, you might, your life might be taken. I uh, see punishment is kind of based on the weight of the offence. And humans, we have value and worth. Secondly, I think we kind of fail to understand who we are as people. You know, are we, like I said before, are we basically people who are good, who occasionally slip up? Or are we actually, as the Bible would say, people who are corrupt and occasionally do good. I think if you think about it in the biblical terms, it kind of shifts the weight of what we deserve. I think because of who we are and our sin, we minimise the weight of our sin and we minimise our view of God. See, I think we don't understand how it could be fair because we, we actually don't understand the God whom we've offended. Uh, our offence against God is greater than we might have imagined. Now, imagine a man um, in a pub and he has a falling out with his mate and he kind of takes a swing at him and breaks his nose, right? And uh, then he gets out of the pub. Okay, okay, he gets kicked out of the pub. He's, that's, he's done the wrong thing. Now, imagine the same man. He's at home, in his family home with his parents, has a falling out with him. What does he do? He takes a swing at them, breaks their noses, same act, same consequence. Is it the worst? Is it you know? Is it a worse thing to do, to to kind of take a swing at your parents than your mate? Or I I would say so. I suppose depending on what culture you're in, but definitely, uh, it's worse. Now, ratchet this up even higher. Imagine you know the uh, the president of America. You know, you go up to him, you take a swing at him. Uh, you know, you break his nose, same act, but what's the consequence here? It's, it's far greater, isn't it? Because of who you're offending. Uh, you know, you're, you're offending the whole nation here. Now, ratch this up even further. Uh, imagine your sin against the God of the universe, the God who rules over the planets, not just the solar system, the stars and the moon, 
uh, and this act is far more weighty against this God, isn't it? It's, far, it's not just like you're having a, a crack at a mate. Uh, no, we, we're, we're talking about the God who upholds your very breath. So when you offend, when you sin against him, it's not the same thing as just against your mate. And to ignore a mate is one thing, but to ignore the Lord of all things, who has given you life, breath and everything else, has massive consequences. I think, you know, thinking about who it is, whom we offend, uh, can kind of come to ter- helps us come to terms a little bit with how finite action, 70, 80 years, against God, uh, can, we can see the consequences roll into infinity. Um, I do think, as we think about this question, there are other assumptions that we might have. Uh, see, I think we might assume that in hell people might stop sinning. Uh, it's interesting, uh, in that graphic story that Jesus told, you know, where uh, the rich man and Lazarus, you know, rich man is in hell, uh, have a look at your Bible there, uh, and he calls out for Lazarus in hell. Have a look in verse 24. He called out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, just notice this, right? Is that an odd request? If you were in hell, in this eternal flame, what would you ask for? Wouldn't you ask, have mercy on me, get me out of here, (laughs) let me come to where you are in heaven? But it's interesting, the rich man, he does not do that here, does he? Uh, No, he he doesn't kind of come to his senses, realise what he's done. He, He says, give me some water and send that servant that I ignored while on earth to give it to me. Uh, he's unrepentant here for eternity. Uh, Don Carson, he puts it this way. He says, hell is not full of people who have learnt their lesson. Hell is full of people who refuse to repent. That is why hell is ongoing cycle of sin, rebellion and judgment. Uh, the sad reality, I think, is that those in hell, they don't repent. They don't come to their senses they don't bow their knee before God and their heart while on earth continues for eternity. Um, sure, they don't want to be there, but they don't want to bow the knee before God. Uh, the second assumption, I think, when we're thinking about how fair it is, is that we might also assume that everyone gets the same punishment. You know, so Hitler and Stalin go to hell and they get the same punishment as our friendly neighbour who's baked cookies for us. Uh, I think the Bible time and time again uh, infers that our experience of hell will not be the same for every person. Uh, There seems to be different levels of suffering and punishment there. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but it's clear, the Bible is clear, that your experience of hell or heaven for that matter, is actually based on what you do with what you know now. And it's proportional to the lives and the choices that you make every day. All this is to show that we can be confident that what God does for punishment will be fair 
Actually, no one will be able to cry unfair to God and won't be able to cry, this is an overkill uh, and it won't be able to cry, this is too harsh or too strong. Now, this is heavy, isn't it? I feel the weight of preparing this week and uh, feeling the weight of just what we're considering. Now, I have one final uh, thing I want us to reflect on is, and the, this is the question of, how is it loving? Surely, how can a loving God have such a place of hell? How can he be outrageously angry uh, at people? But what if uh, that is what love is actually about? See, to truly uh, be in love perhaps means not turning a blind eye to wrong actions, but truly being in love means that when we're wronged, we're rightly angry for those actions. I remember watching a Netflix series uh, where the husband and wife, they were no longer in love. Uh, And uh, in this one, the wife had an affair with another man. Uh, And when the affair was exposed, the husband, he didn't really care. Uh, The wife uh, confronted her husband and said, I thought you would be more angry. See what's going on there? The husband's lack of anger his indifference shows that he doesn't actually love his wife anymore, doesn't it? It shows that because he didn't care what she did, there wasn't actually a loving jealousy for her affection. See, I think the opposite of love is an anger. The opposite of love is actually indifference. Uh, And sometimes the loving thing is actually to be rightfully angry. Uh, The hell is actually because God is rightly angry. It's actually out of a love because he loves people so much and he's angry at how we have shamed and dishonoured and wronged him. Uh, He must judge, he must hold us accountable because he cares too much. If he didn't love people, he'd be indifferent. He wouldn't care, just let it go on. Now, Another part of our issue with the love of God is um, when we say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? The question we've got to ask is, how do we know that God is actually loving? Like, how do we know that he's loving? Uh, See, I know no other major religion where God is known as love. Greek mythology, the gods, they're immoral. Uh, They're evil and cruel. They're not loving. Uh, In Asian uh, circles, they're kind of mischievous and capricious. They always kind of work against you and they don't want you to do well. But somehow we get the idea uh, that God is loving and he wants us to do well. Well, where do we get that from? Well, we get it from Jesus. (laughs) We get it from the Bible. There's no other world religion apart from Judaism, Christianity, that says that God is loving. So if we want God to be loving, then we need the God of the Bible to be true. And if we want the God of the Bible to be true, then we need the kind of whole Bible to be true. So we kind of can't pick and choose which bits of God we like or don't like. Uh, Even if we don't entirely understand how it all works. Now we started with a whole bunch of reasons why hell offends us uh, and why we find it difficult. And it's heavy, isn't it? I've tried to kind of show 
a little bit why I think actually God is more inclusive, he's more just and fair, and he's more loving than we actually might have first imagined because there is a heaven and hell. Now, Jesus gives us these vivid warnings that hell is eternal, that conscious punishment, it's devastatingly real and it's tragic. But he teaches and gives us this warning because he loves us. He's a teacher of great compassion and care. And he alone speaks more about this than anyone else. He warns us because he doesn't want us to go there. He knows what that future will look like and he wants to say, don't go there because I know there's a way out. In a few moments, uh, as Jesus, after he spoke these parables, he had an act which proved his love for us, that he's going to hang on the cross and experience the judgment and anger of God for himself. See, Jesus spoke about hell knowing there was a way out, a solution to it. Although humanity, we, you and I deserve it, we can in Jesus be free from it because he suffered in our place. He suffered the judgment of God. His death and, uh, on our behalf Uh, Jesus spoke about it and provided a solution. He's saying, this doesn't have to be your future. Now, the obvious question for us is, where do I stand before this just, loving, holy God? Have you turned and thrown your lot in with him, the only one to be saved? These are two serious, real matters with enormous consequences to put off, to neglect thinking in. Uh, Can I say, if you've got questions... Uh, I understand there might be many more questions and time. Put it in the Connect With Us time. I would love to chat. You can chat about it with people after. I've got to run off to Wild Street. I know this is heavy, but please continue to push into this space and ask questions. But if you're not yet in Jesus, can I say, don't put it off. Talk to someone today. Do it today. Put your trust and faith in Jesus. The second thing I want to say is for those of us who do trust Jesus, who follow him, who worship him, uh, that know Jesus' death in your place, I think it's easy for us to forget the seriousness of these realities, isn't it? And we can kind of just live out of sync with the realities that we know and believe to be true in our life. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? I get kind of paid to talk about these things Yet I know I find it hard. I find it hard and difficult to live in sync with these realities. When I walk into the shops, when I see my neighbours, what's the most pressing need for them? That they know Jesus. What's the reality? That there is a God. He loves us. There is a heaven and hell. Uh, And the only way to be in heaven is come in under Jesus. It's in desperate, urgent need to speak of these things, aren't we? Uh, You might already have heard this, Rico Tice. uh, It's a a great story and I'll keep using it because uh, he was a guy that wrote kind of a, uh, we do life course here, but it's like a Christianity Explored course. Uh, And it must have been over about 20 years ago. He tells a story about bringing a mate along to the course to talk about uh, the gospel. Uh, And he kind of managed to bring his mate along uh, to the course. And I think it was like week two or week three when they, talk about the reality of sin and heaven and hell uh, and uh, he went out with his mate afterwards for a beer and he said to him, oh, how, did, how did you find it? And his mate said to him, I'm angry with you, Rico. I'm angry with you. 
Enrico kind of thought, oh, you know, assumed, oh yeah, I know, I mean, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? Heaven and hell, I, I get that. And the mate said, no, I'm angry that you've known me for this long and you actually haven't talked to me about these realities yet. You have not loved me enough to speak to me about these. Something about that, isn't there? About the love that causes us to go push through the awkward social dynamics. I know it's scary, but the love of God compels us. We must try to speak about these things, raise the things of Jesus with those around us, because there is a heaven and hell, and he has provided the only solution for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just do feel the weight of these truths. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you made us, that you proved that you love us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And we pray and we thank you that you're a God that we can actually worship that's just and fair and will hold all people to account. And Father, as we reflect on our own hearts, we know that that reality uh, means that we'll be under your condemnation. But Father, we thank you for Jesus who you sent to live and die for us. And so we praise him and we trust him and we pray that we might live uh, in light of these realities. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.